0: Welcome to Paranormal Thoughts Podcast, and as always, thanks for joining me. In this episode, we're going to be talking about poltergeists. Just before we get into that, though, I just want to say if you enjoy this episode of the podcast or any of the previous episodes, please subscribe. If you also do enjoy the episodes, uh, please leave us a five-star rating. Uh, That really helps us get pushed up uh, in podcast uh, charts or anything like that, and helps other people find the podcast as well. We're on Facebook and Instagram. You can just type in Paranormal Thoughts Podcast, we'll pop up there. Uh, We have a blog, which is paranormalthoughtspodcast.wordpress.com. There'll be a bunch of links, any sort of sources that I'll refer to in this episode, uh, you can find on there. We also have uh, merch. Uh, You can go to teespring.com, search Paranormal Thoughts Podcast, and uh, you can get a pretty sick shirt there. All these links will be in the description of the podcast. You can go down there and check out everything I've just mentioned. So pretty much every two weeks, uh, when it's time for me to make a podcast, well, it doesn't quite work like that, but when I'm getting ready to create a new episode for a podcast. I kind of sit there and I go over everything in my little mind or even, you know, I might write down some notes on my phone or something um, when things kind of come up. Uh, Any sort of ideas that I want to do a podcast about. And this was only the other day that I was sort of sitting there going, I need to make a new episode. And I was racking my brain over a bunch of different ideas, which I still might come back to. It sort of depends on well, a lot of the time, how I sort of feel and also depending on what I've just recently posted, I kind of like to switch things up a little bit as well. I don't want to do the same kind of content, you know, for four episodes in a row, I like to sort of spread it out. So there is a bit of, you know, diversity and just something for everyone, really. Uh, and I know the thing that you all really seem to enjoy is alien abduction slash UFO stuff and hauntings, pretty much. That's what everyone really loves. Uh, and I'm I'm the same. Those are you know probably my two favorite things to touch on uh, on the podcast as well. So I'm always keen to dive into that kind of info. So not that long ago, uh, I did some stuff on some hauntings in the UK, and I was trying to you know move a little bit away from that, but it kind of just dwelled on me that I haven't actually done an episode on poltergeists. I've done you know an episode on your regular sort of uh, hauntings. I've spoken with investigators. Uh, even spoken to, you know, uh, exorcists about demonic entities. So sort of a lot of that, uh, a lot of that world within, you know, hauntings or the sort of, you know, the explainable with spirits and so on kind of already touched on quite a fair bit, to be perfectly honest, even, you know, done ghost hunts on the podcast as well. So there's been quite a fair bit of that touched on a fair bit. But when I realized I haven't specifically spoken about poltergeists, I went, well, shit, I better do that. So when I sat down and thought, all right, I'm going to do this, where do you start, right? Well, I guess the best place which came to my mind was what is a poltergeist, right? I'm sure, you know, once everyone saw the uh, movie in the 80s, you know, poltergeist, they probably got the idea that, okay, it's a ghost, right? They're, They're ghosts, spirits, what have you. There's something that haunts, right? So that's sort of a blanket term, I suppose, for them. When you sort of break it down, there's, I think there's two camps, well, at least what I've sort of broken it down to. Uh, there's one camp which, funny enough, um, almost three years ago to this week, I interviewed Chad Talley who was from the Space Coast Paranormal Society uh, over in America and I did ask him the question, what's the difference between a poltergeist and a regular spirit? And I think I asked that because he must have mentioned poltergeist and I wanted to get his I wanted to get his perspective on what it was. So here's a little clip from 2017 about me asking a paranormal investigator what the difference was. What's the clear difference between, say, just a regular spirit compared to a poltergeist for you? A poltergeist, for me, I believe that's just caused by people. Like uh, whenever they're in a, especially teenage when they're in stress, when they're very stressed, all emotional, they have all the hormones going and they actually end up causing their own activity. Whereas a regular ghost, it's just like an intelligent haunting. Something's there trying to get your attention. How would you determine that what you might be dealing with is a poltergeist? We had one case where we went in and they were having experiences like that. And the mother and the son were had a very stressful relationship where they were always going back and forth with each other. And feeding into each other's energies and stuff would happen whenever they got mad at each other. It was like I was able to say, hey, you know, when you get mad at each other, how about why don't you just leave the room? And that stuff won't happen to you anymore. (laughs) Chad believes that it's an entity that's actually completely environmentally affected. So depending on what's going on in someone's life, uh, if something traumatic happened or there's, you know, someone's kind of going through something, the energy they're putting out can actually start to have an effect on other things around them, such as, you know, objects and so on and so forth. So that's one train of thought that it's people kind of affecting their surroundings and making the haunting happen. The other train of thought is that they are some sort of uh, ghost, you could say, but they're a little bit different. You know, I suppose maybe a regular sort of um, residual haunting is kind of someone's imprint whose past left on the world and kind of, you know, going through their everyday kind of life as they were uh, and not even necessarily being aware that they're dead or, you know, maybe only being able to interact with you on a very basic level. Maybe, you know, you see them, you hear them. A little bit, but with a poltergeist, they can really interact. The word poltergeist is actually a German word. And when you actually look up the meaning in German, it's uh, to create a disturbance or to make noise. So they're kind of like a noisy ghost, you could say. They're very um, mischievous. They're known for moving objects, throwing objects for that matter too, uh, and also even attacking people to a certain extent, or at least playing with people they're very active. They they do a lot of moving, you could say. They also do make a lot of noise as well. But I think that's the big thing is like they seem to have a lot more energy that they can interact with, you know, uh, every everyday sort of items and have us, you know, the living, uh, interact with them as well and actually see it. Now, obviously, it's hard to know exactly exactly what it is, it could be either one of those things or something completely different, you know, we're dealing with the paranormal here, like it's pretty open-ended. Uh, I would like to think that it's probably a bit of both. I think it's definitely, we're going to look at some cases shortly. I think you'll definitely see that the people who are involved in these cases could definitely could sort of conjure up some happenings from, you know, their sort of life and um, what's kind of going with them at that sort of point of time. Uh, but then also I think you could also look at it as these are, spirits of people who've passed, but they're just a little bit different to maybe your regular haunting. I'd say it's like a haunting on steroids or something. It's a little more, it's like the next sort of level, you know, they're definitely there to let you know that they're there. Now, I think it's interesting when you start to look into poltergeist as well, what people claim to be a poltergeist haunting compared to, you know, I guess, a regular kind of residual haunting or even intelligent haunting for that matter. And it's, it's kind of... I think it's, it's definitely hard to put it in a category. Obviously, we always try to, you know, everything that we talk about here on this podcast, there isn't necessarily 100% proof of anything, right? So when we try to categorize something into, you know, it's sections where we don't even know exactly what something is or even if it exists potentially. Not saying this doesn't, but just kind of hear me out. It's really hard to then, you know, try to specify between different things. It's like, you know, we talk about Bigfoot or whatever. Uh, trying to specify is it a Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Yeti, Yowie, you know. Rather than sort of generalising all of these same sort of creatures, we do try to then pinpoint them and try to figure out what the differences are, you know. And a lot of the time it's sort of location and that kind of case. But in this case, we're trying to look at what are these invisible forces and how are they different from one another. When you start to do some reading too, I feel like some of the cases you come across aren't necessarily poltergeist you can almost lean more towards like a regular haunting or even potentially uh, demonic type possession or possession of something you know so I think there's definitely blurred lines one of the cases I'm going to talk about is a very clear I think poltergeist by the book kind of definition the other two have elements of it and then maybe it's a little bit more maybe it's a bit less It's something completely different who sort of knows but it is very hard to sort of pinpoint exactly what we're looking at here But I guess if you're coming at it from the idea that it's sort of unknown energy that's associated with a living person, so whatever they're sort of putting out to the world is having some sort of reaction, you could look at it like that, or that it is a very active spirit who can interact with pretty much everything that's going on around them and really let you know that they're here. If you keep your mind open to both of those sort of descriptions, and then you can kind of start to look into these accounts and then try to figure out whether or not it could be a poltergeist. So I've picked three different cases to take a little look at here today and um Two of them being from England and the last one being in Kentucky in America. For some of you who might be familiar with poltergeist, me just saying a case from Kentucky might actually give you a way where we're going to be talking about. So this one's called the Thornton Heath Poltergeist. So this took place in August of 1972 in London. A family was woken up uh, one night from their radio turning itself on. And not only did the radio turn itself on, it was on a station that wasn't broadcasting in English. So... What the family is trying to say is not only did the radio turn itself on, that it actually had changed station uh, onto a frequency that they don't often listen to because the station isn't in English. So something manipulated the radio by turning it on and also changing the station. So this was the very first thing that happened. And then it kind of started to ramp up a little bit. Photo frames that they had hanging up on the walls started to fall off. Plates and glasses were actually flying out of the cabinets and footsteps were also being heard throughout the house. So skipping forward from August through to Christmas, I think this is where the activity really started to pick up. So they had their Christmas tree set up and the Christmas tree would actually start violently shaking. The Christmas tree would also levitate off the ground. At one point, a Christmas ornament was actually thrown at the husband of the house and actually hit him in the head. Skipping forward even a little bit more into the new year, the family had some guests over. So this is what's interesting is that there's uh, external witnesses now. The front door actually opened itself and all the lights cut out. So multiple people saw that this was happening at this stage. I and mean, then the last straw was the son of the house was actually woken up one night to see a figure standing at the end of his bed. It was an older man wearing older clothes. The family then started to get a priest in to bless the house. So the priest came in, did that, but it didn't actually work. It kind of made things worse, if anything. So they decided to bring in a medium. I would suggest bringing in a medium before you bring in any priest, to be honest, but that's just that's just me anyway. But... The medium actually figured out that they were being haunted by a poltergeist of a farmer who lived on the property many years ago. But not only was the farmer haunting them, but it was also the farmer's wife. So it turns out the farmer actually believed the family to be trespassing on his land. So if you couldn't have already kind of guessed from the description of what I gave you of what was going on, the spirit wasn't happy whatsoever. He was trying to scare the family into leaving. The family lived in the house for four years two of the years having this poltergeist activity going on and it didn't actually stop. The family actually had to leave the house in order to get out. The interesting thing, after this family left, the next tenants actually had no issue at all. No paranormal happenings, nothing. The house was just a regular house. And this is something that I've been finding with poltergeist activity is often it kind of just starts and then eventually it will just stop. It might happen for a few months, could happen for a few years. Uh, And then often you know a family will leave or maybe the family won't leave and it will just stop that's it so it seems like whatever these entities are they must get stirred up for some reason and kind of start the activity, maybe by, you know, someone moving in. They don't particularly like that person. It definitely seems like they are attached to someone who's living in that house and either they have to leave or over a certain time they just kind of stop. So as I just said there, poltergeists really do seem to attach themselves to one particular family member or the entire family. Uh, And often in cases as well, they seem to really attach themselves to children Now, this comes up time and time again, and it's going to in this next case as well. But as I said at the beginning of the podcast, poltergeists are very mischievous and very playful, almost like a child's kind of behavior. So I feel like a lot of times energy does attach itself to children. And that leads me into the Enfield poltergeist case. This case was often known as the House of Strange Happenings in Enfield. That's what the newspapers would print at the time. So this case would have to be the biggest poltergeist case reported on. There was multiple researchers from all different walks of life, from more medium-style researchers straight through to, you know, your very straight-up scientific researchers as well. So the case had a lot of attention, a lot of TV, a lot of radio. There's a ton of information out there on this case. This case took place in the late 70s, and ever since then it's always come up again and again. And obviously the reason it's so popular once again now is because the second Conjuring film was based on this story. So if you've seen that film, you'll be familiar with what I'm about to talk about here. And also, just before I go into this, it's also very controversial, this case as well, because a lot of people believe that it was a hoax. And there's definitely things that can point in that direction that it is a hoax, but there is at least one very key point of information that I know for a fact that something was going on. I think some of it was hoaxed, that's for sure. I think the The children in the house actually admitted to kind of playing it up as well uh, at times, but there was certainly still something going on in that house. So we're in the north of London this time. It's August 1977, and there is a family, the Hodgson family. Peggy was recently divorced, living in a house at 284 Green Street in Enfield with her children. Two of the children were sharing a bedroom and they called out for their mother one night because the chest of drawers in their bedroom actually began to move across the floor by itself. Uh, Peggy, the mother, came in the room and, you know, was telling the kids to cut it out. You know, they had school in the morning, what are they doing? And, you know, they continued to say, it's not us, the drawers are moving by themselves. So this is just kind of the beginning of what was to come and I suppose what was to come of the biggest, probably the most intense poltergeist case that has ever been documented. So the strangeness continued with uh, a lot of unknown knocking all over the house, and this was heard by neighbours as well as the family living in the house. Uh, many people came through the house and also experienced the knocking. The children uh, complained about their beds shaking while they were trying to sleep. So obviously the family was quite concerned, so they actually brought in police to sort of see what was going on. And then, um, when the police were there they actually had this to say the local police could find no explanation for the knocking either they were even more baffled when two of their beat constables reported seeing an armchair levitate across the hodgson's living room it um came off the floor or nearly a half inch i should say and i saw it slide off to the right about three and a half to four feet before it came to rest um I checked to see whether or not it could possibly have slid along the floor. I placed a marble on the floor to see whether or not the marble would um, go in the same direction as the chair did, and it didn't. It didn't roll at all. Um, I checked for wires under the cushion of the chair, and I could find no explanation at all. So they couldn't actually see anything, I suppose, uh, criminal going on, so they couldn't actually help. I guess they probably were like, you probably need more of like a ghost Hunter, or something, to come sort this out. But I think the thing with this case, and I'll come back to this point, I'm sure, is they have uh, police who documented what they saw. And also, they've gone on, you know, they've documented in writing and also in this documentary uh, that you can go check out on the blog uh, that I just got that bit of audio from, that this uh, police woman has actually come forward and said, I was there, I witnessed this. I think that is probably the one key bit of evidence in this whole case. So there's a very famous photo of Janet Hodginson. She was 11 at the time and the poltergeist activity mainly happened around her. There's actually a few very famous photos of her uh, levitating in her bedroom and they captured this on film. Uh, at one stage as well, a curtain actually wrapped around her neck uh, by an unseeable force and actually began to choke her. So while all this was happening, many investigators came through and, you know, looked into what exactly was going on. Uh, One of the investigators was Maurice Gross and he did a lot for what was going on there in Enfield. He was really one of the main researchers and he went with cameras, captured a lot of audio, so there's a lot of uh, EVPs and so on that actually exist from this time. One thing, if you have seen the second Conjuring film, is uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren feature quite heavily in that. Now, Ed and Lorraine Warren did go, uh, did actually go over to England and suss out this case, but it was actually right towards the end when everyone else had done all the other research, and then they just kind of came in and started to say it's demonic, like they would with everything. Now, I'm not someone who's against the Warrens, but uh, I definitely think <laughs> I think those films have kind of really overemphasised kind of what they have done for the paranormal world. To be completely honest, like I think they hold their place, but they were very much so known for kind of coming in, taking other people's, like, kind of stealing other people's thunder and all their hard work kind of coming in and saying, There's something demonic here. We need to do an exorcism. And that's kind of not the case at all, I think, with this um, case. You know, like, if Janet was actually levitating, I don't think it's because something was inside her. I think it was something was lifting her up. There was a force actually physically moving her rather than it kind of being within her. So you might be wondering, well, where's... If you actually look into this case, where's all the research from the Warrens? Uh, There isn't really any because they weren't actually there for the most part, so... That is one thing the film really got wrong. Uh, The film got quite a bit of the actual happenings right, but the people who, I guess, their main cast, uh, they weren't actually there. So they kind of, you know, picked a storyline and fabricated it, but as they would in movies. But just so you know, the Warrens kind of had nothing to do with this case, that's for sure. They did other cases for sure, but not this one. So the documentary that I've linked on the blog is actually a really good one to check out because it's footage from the 70s of them chatting to the girls, um in the house and also talking to neighbours and, as you heard there, talking to police officers, talking to the researchers, people who witnessed what was going on. Now, for the most part, I think there was something going on there. Now, as I sort of mentioned earlier, it, it, apparently the girls did also play up uh, a lot of the activity. Uh, there was times where the spirit would actually speak through the girls, uh, mainly Janet, and a lot of times she'd only do it when she was alone in a room with the door closed and so on. Like a lot of a lot of the investigators kind of just took their word for it, which probably wasn't the best way to do it. it was to kind of, you know, completely believe, like even the voice that Janet was doing could be achieved with her, you know, natural voice, just very low in pitch, but they kind of made the claim of saying, well, she never got hoarse or anything. Her vocal cords never really, you know, showed any wear of, you know, doing this demonic voice for three hours um, or anything like that. But it's still not out of the realm of possibility, but I think it's more what everyone else kind of saw, you know, if this, you know, police woman saw a chair move or neighbours also, you know, saw things moving. Uh, One neighbour apparently saw um, the toilet flush itself and then even like move the toilet brush and things like that. You know, uh, Lego being thrown as well, children's toys being thrown, slippers, like people saw this stuff going on, uh, but there was definitely also things to that where it was a bit, I think, uh, heightened as well by the kids, probably because they were excited. uh, You know, they kind of wanted to keep that illusion going. Um, It's kind of, it's a bit of a weird one. You kind of hear the girls talking about it as kids and then um, you hear about them talking about it as adults and it's a very different a very different uh, viewpoint on it. I think it's probably because when you're a kid, it's scary. Like what was going on would be scary, but I think as a kid, you're almost really resilient in a way as well. You kind of, and I think if there was other adults around, kind of really feeding into this, they're probably thinking this is kind of like not a bad thing per se. But I think as adults, they could probably look back and go, "Well, wow, that was a really bad time. That was really weird. Like that was not how everyone else grew up," you know, and the most haunted house I think it's worth mentioning that the mother, Peggy, was recently divorced. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, poltergeists feed off uh, energy. And if there was a lot of negative energy in that house at the time, maybe some hate, a lot of, you know, probably sadness around uh, parents splitting up. The kids are probably focusing a lot of that energy and actually could probably manifest uh, what it actually takes to have poltergeist energy. So I think that really plays into why I believe this would be a poltergeist case, as well as whatever it was, being able to manipulate all these objects. Now, the girls actually reported it was multiple poltergeists in the house, not just one. Now, it's hard to say exactly who or what they were. They they claimed that they had names and so on, but uh, once again, I feel like that might have also been playing into the thing where they were kind of heightening it up a little bit. It kind of did seem a bit far-fetched, I think, anyway. Um, but this case is really difficult, I think, because I do believe in it, but I think you got to take everything with a grain of salt because there's definitely, you know, with children being the main, um, the main victims of all of this and also kind of admitting to having fun with it, you sort of got to, you know, really watch what you say. But I think uh, from third parties coming in and actually finding things, you know, um, any sort of weird voices being recorded or uh, things to that sort of nature, I think that's where the truth lies in this, you know, maybe not so much the kids actually reporting or giving their testimony on certain things that happened in the house. I think you can kind of rule all of that stuff out. But regardless, this is probably the biggest poltergeist case and it's probably one of the ones where you can go, nah, I don't believe it. Like, that's all bullshit. But I don't think it is, in all honesty. I wouldn't be here talking. Actually, I probably would still talk about it if I didn't believe in it, but I would let you know. I'd be like, nah, this is full of shit. But I don't think this is. Um, but I definitely think whatever was going on um, at 284 Green Street in Enfield was some sort of poltergeist haunting. In the last case, we head over to Kentucky in America and we're looking at Bobby Mackey's Music World. This is one that I remember hearing about. I feel like it might have been like a travel a travel channel documentary or a discovery channel documentary. It was something back in the early 2000s. Uh, I remember watching it on TV. I was probably, you know, eight or nine years old, and it was a episode about hauntings, but mainly focusing on poltergeist. And Bobby Mackey's is one of the most well-known establishments, probably one of the most, I know for a fact, probably the most haunted place in Kentucky, let alone one of the most haunted places in America, in my opinion. Now, what's interesting about Bobby Mackey's is obviously it is a club. It's a bar uh, where they play live music and there's dancing, drinking, you know, all that good stuff. Um, So not only does the paranormal activity happen to, you know, the staff, The owners, uh, it also happens to the general public uh, who are in there, you know, every night or what have you. So I think it's a very interesting case. The other two have been in houses and this one's actually like to, you know, this is actually open up to the public and the public have experienced things here at Bobby Mackey's. So Bobby Mackey is a country musician who decided to buy his own establishment and, you know, he was able to perform there, have other country music come through. uh, So it's pretty much, you know, a house of, well, as he says, a uh, music world. Uh, the interesting thing about Bobby Mackey's as well is there's a sign and I feel like uh, the sign is there for, I suppose, legal reasons but also to kind of heighten the idea that this place is haunted and the sign pretty much says that the establishment is haunted and that management is not responsible for any of the actions of the ghosts in the establishment. Now, one thing about this place as well is Bobby Mackey doesn't really believe or doesn't really buy into the paranormal side of his business. He just He just loves country music, right? But I think regardless, he's he's kind of got he's definitely got one of the most haunted music venues uh, in America. So I doubt that that's actually completely the case. I'm sure he's also buying into the idea that people are coming here for that exact reason, you know. But we'll get off we'll get off from that. But I just wanted to mention that. But I'm sure he's also he's cashing in as well that this place is haunted. So when Bobby Mackey decided to buy the building that he decided to turn into Bobby Mackey's music world, it was an abandoned building um, that had had a lot of different, it had gone through a lot of different establishments through its life. It originally started as a slaughterhouse and then became a casino uh, and also other type of music clubs as well throughout the years. But when he found it, it was abandoned and not really knowing a ton about the history I suppose at that time, um, they decided to buy it and you know start renovating and so on. And Bobby's wife, uh, Janet, she had a bad feeling about the place as soon as they got there. Uh, you know, she found that like the doors would open by themselves, lights would turn on and off. And uh, while they were opening, a ladder was actually coming towards Janet as if, you know, an unseeable force was actually carrying it uh, and was actually, you know, this ladder was then pushed. Uh, onto Janet, who was pregnant at the time. But luckily, uh, the handyman, Carl, uh, kind of, you know, got her out of the way in time before this ladder fell on her. But pretty much whatever was going on there, it seemed like Janet was the victim. You know, her husband was kind of off doing his thing. He cared about his country music, no time for ghosts. Uh, but Janet was kind of the one falling victim uh, to the haunting. Carl, uh, the handyman who I just mentioned, he lived up above the venue in an apartment. And he would be, you know, in bed at night, he closed up for the night, and he would actually hear the jukebox downstairs start playing a record. And when he would go downstairs, the jukebox was actually unplugged. That was sort of his buy in into there's something weird going on here. So obviously that was happening to you know employees slash owners, uh, and then you know people, the general public were also having experiences, you know, seeing seeing things being touched um, by unseeable forces. It really became this place where. A lot of ghost hunters shows have been. A lot of, you know, a lot of paranormal tours go on there as well. It's very well known that this place is haunted. Now, what makes this a poltergeist case? For the most part, a lot of things moving around. You Once again, tables have been moved, chairs, uh, mechanical bull would go off by itself. It's believed that there's a lot of movement within Bobby Mackey's, let alone, you know, seeing apparitions and so on. Now, I'd say this is probably the one out of the three cases where I'd lean towards, well, how do we, like, it's a very sort of blurry line, this one, because... It could just be a regular haunting in a sense, but people claim that this one is a poltergeist uh, haunting. Whether or not it is, um, we'll, we'll, we'll go with that it is because that's what this episode is about, but uh, I'm not actually 100% sure when you kind of look into it. But what's interesting about this place is the history. So from 1850, the building served as a slaughterhouse. It actually had a well in the slaughterhouse where you know they would drain the carcasses and drain blood out, which would you know run into the river. Uh, The well is the only thing from, you know, the 1800s that is still in the building. So it's still, you know, under the floor, which you can actually go and witness. And it's, they believe that's actually the portal of hell. Also, apparently, a satanic cult also used the site at one point as well. So, you know, if you believe in that kind of stuff, then you already know this place ain't good. (laughs) You know, well, this is uh, not not somewhere you probably want to be opening up, you know, your Bobby Mackey's music world. So at one point as well, it was a casino, which was apparently uh, run by the mob. So... Undoubtedly, there was a lot of deaths that actually happened there um, that actually weren't reported on. So we know for a fact that this place, while well, it was slaughtering animals, you know, I guess mob bosses were killing people and gambling and so on. And then also uh, you had the satanic cult at one point. So a lot of weird activity uh, in this space. So you can just imagine already if you're going to start feeding into a poltergeist kind of uh, idea of this energy. I'm sure there's a lot sort of left behind. So one of the spirits said to actually haunt Bobby Mackey's is a woman by the name of Johanna. Now, she was around in the 1920s, so when uh, it was sort of like a mobster kind of uh, hangout, casino, so on. So the story goes that Johanna had fallen in love with a local singer, Robert Randall. Uh, She eventually became pregnant to him, which her father did not agree with. And her father was the one who actually owned the club at the time. Discovered the secret of Robert Randall impregnating his daughter, he decided to uh, have Randall killed. Johanna, obviously being beside herself, decided to get her revenge on her father and decided to poison him and take her own life. Now, it's believed that Johanna now haunts Bobby Mackey's. Apparently, people actually see her on stage performing with the band as well. Now, this is something that's interesting. Bobby Mackey, he's, that's not actually his name. That was not his birth-given name. Uh, he's, decided to, he's actually changed his name, uh, I suppose, when his music career might have taken off. But he's, he was actually born Robert Randall. Robert Randall Mackey. So it's believed that maybe Joanna thinks that Bobby Mackey is her uh, lover who, you know, was murdered by her father, reincarnated, or maybe in some weird way that she still thinks that that is actually her partner. So it's believed that she hangs around, she probably has some sort of obsession with Bobby, and hence why she doesn't like Bobby's wife, Janet, who, you know, has experienced the thing with the ladder and someone being sort of tormented. It's believed that there's probably some jealousy there by the spirit. So one of the other mishaps that is associated with Bobby Mackey's actually didn't take place there, but this woman was murdered nearby and it's believed that her body, well, somewhat of her body was actually dumped in the well uh, that's below Bobby Mackey's currently today. Um, This woman's name is Pearl. She was a wealthy local farmer's daughter who was apparently, you know, had a lot of suitors, at her hand, I suppose, if they're wealthy. Uh, she took a liking to Scott Jackson, though, who was a dental student uh, in Cincinnati. She ended up, you know, hooking up with him. She got pregnant uh, and wanted to get an abortion. So I don't think a lot of abortions sort of in uh, 1896 when this took place were probably that accessible. So it wasn't very easy to get one. Um, but Jackson had a roommate, uh, Alonzo Whaling, who believed that he, being a dental student as well, could probably just do the procedure himself. So they they tried to do that, they botched it, and then ended up just deciding to kill Pearl rather than actually having to admit to what they had done. So according to the legend, they removed Pearl's head so they couldn't actually identify who she was. And this is where they actually threw her head supposedly into the well of Bobby Mackey's. Now it's believed that these three characters, so both uh, Jackson, his roommate Alonzo Whaling, and Pearl all haunt Bobby Mackey's. Now, these stories don't necessarily line up with a poltergeist in the sense of if you're going to believe that a poltergeist is energy, you know, uh, cause and effect with energy, right? Uh, I suppose it could if you're going to go down the thing of that there's spirits that are way more playful and kind of, you know, I suppose, a little more active. I'm not really 100% sure with this one. I think Bobby Mackey's is definitely haunted, whether or not it's by poltergeists. Kind of looking into it, I wouldn't say it would be any different to probably, you know, a regular kind of haunting, uh, intelligent or residual. Probably it seems like it's somewhat intelligent, you know, if they're playing jukeboxes and stuff and kind of seeming to, you know, move ladders to get attention from people. But I wouldn't say on paper it looks particularly like a regular sort of poltergeist. Now, if you're not really into... The paranormal well i wouldn't say the paranormal hauntings per se and you're like listening to this episode you're probably like what the fuck is Dylan about he's he's saying it's this saying it's, it's all it all it's all fucking you know it's it all is uh it's like when people say what's god what's jesus and what's the holy ghost and it's like oh it's it's water right water can be melted it could be frozen and then you know if you heat it up enough it becomes steam you know it's all the same thing it all comes from the same kind of it all comes from water, right? I suppose that's the same thing as what we're talking about here. It's all related. It's just kind of categorizing certain things. Uh, but with Bobby Mackey's, probably less likely, in my opinion, poltergeist sort of behavior, maybe more towards just a regular kind of intelligent haunting. But regardless, that's still kind of what a poltergeist is. Maybe it just depends on what we believe a poltergeist to be. But regardless, it is said to be one of the most haunted places by poltergeists. So it's worth mentioning here, because that's what we're talking about, right? I feel like this episode is just me kind of arguing with myself about what a poltergeist is and trying to convince you guys on what I suppose one could be. But as we know, it's all up to how you perceive things, you know, it's, it's up to even if you believe in spirits and ghosts, you know what I mean? Like, I completely get why a lot of people do. And I get why a lot of people don't. Unless you experience something for yourself, it's pretty hard to Kind of really get amongst this stuff. But I think um, from my own experiences and a lot of other people's experiences we've heard about on this podcast, hands down, like ghosts are like, I feel like it's just like, you know, the air that we breathe. We can't see it, but it's there. You know what I mean? I think that's what, that's what, you know, ghosts really are. They're constantly around us and whether or not they can interact with us at any one particular time or who they choose to interact with. Definitely with poltergeists, it seems like it's up to them. They they want to be seen, they're, they're very intelligent. They, They know what to do to get a a reaction, whether it's to try to get someone to leave, try to get some attention, what kind of have you. I've even heard about poltergeisting becoming helpful as well, like opening doors for people when they need to enter somewhere, even opening gates and so on. Supposedly, they're not all bad in a sense as well, but it sort of depends on what you believe. But I think, yes, poltergeists do exist. And whether or not what they – it's hard to say exactly what they are, but I think they are a subcategory from kind of everything else, whether it's, you know, intelligent haunting, residual haunting, demonic-type haunting, uh, and then I guess you have your poltergeist for the most part. Um, And obviously all the stuff here we've spoken about can be debunked to a certain extent, you know, with a lot of regular kind of um, happenings as well, and don't get me wrong, that's always an option as well. Uh, You can definitely look more into debunking this kind of stuff. But I think the stuff that I mentioned – is actually what's kind of going on. Uh, if I would mention if, you know, that kind of wasn't the case, I usually don't try to mention things which can be easily disproved because it kind of just makes me look stupid uh, and like I haven't done my research, to be perfectly honest, you know. But there's nothing worse than when people are like, oh, what you're talking about is bullshit. I'm like, I've actually cut out all the bullshit, to be perfectly honest. I'm trying to give you what I believe is like that 10%. Potentially, that's actually the thing that's very hard to disprove. So don't get me wrong. I've kind of screened this stuff as well. So, as I always say, what do you guys think? Do you think there is something more to poltergeists uh, compared to regular haunting? What exactly do you think they are as well? You know, do they sort of fall into those sort of two camps that I mentioned earlier, or is it something completely different? You know, it potentially is. And, like, of course, have you had an experience that you think is a poltergeist-type uh, activity? Please, if you have, email me at paranormalthoughtspodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your story. I want to hear more about this stuff. Uh, and just before I go, I have to say this is probably one of the most difficult episodes to record because I've got, like, terrible uh, ulcers in my mouth right now. I'm not really sure what from, but uh, it's killing me to talk right now. So, sorry if I sound a bit, like, lispy and kind of a bit weird. My mouth is killing me today. So, uh, not really ideal when, you know, you've just been trying to record for, you know, a good hour or however long I've been going for. So... Anyway, guys, uh, thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I actually really enjoyed researching it and recording it uh, for you here today. So hope you guys got something out of it. Let me know if you've had any experiences. Or Just let me know your thoughts. That's what it's all about here on Paranormal Thoughts Podcast. So I hope you enjoyed. Thank you guys so much. I hope to see you again in another podcast episode really soon. Thanks. Bye.